Thank you, team. Well, it's a good thing God hears us whether or not we're amplified, right? If this thing goes out while I'm talking, I'm just going to turn it off and throw it to the side, and we'll just keep going. I'll just trust my voice is loud enough. This morning, we're in the book of Ephesians, and we are in chapter 2, and we're going to be reading from verses 11 to 14. Verses 11 through 14 of chapter 2. If you would stand with me as we read from God's great word. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. At the end of World War II, Germany was divided up into four different parts. There was the United States, there was Britain, there was France, and there was the Soviet Union. And the goal was eventually to create a new, united Germany, but feelings quickly disintegrated, and eventually the three, the, the U.S., Great Britain, and, the, and France... They combined to form West Germany, and the Soviets made up East Germany. It was not a, not a good time. What made things so hard for people living in Berlin, Berlin was divided East and West, was that the difference of living conditions between East and West, well, those were drastically different. The economy of West Germany saw an almost instant upturn. Um, the, the nations that were overseeing that territory, well, they, they, they did everything they could to help the economy give it a boost and make it a good place to live. And people's living conditions, they, they went up. And they had some money to spend. And they could buy appliances and gadgets. And they had some freedom to travel around. Pretty much the opposite was true in East Germany. Since the Soviet Union had considered East Germany kind of their spoil of war, well, the Soviets were pilfering all the equipment and valuable assets that were there, taking them back to the Soviet Union. And so the people, they, they suffered. And they had very restricted freedoms. And as you can imagine, it didn't take long before people in East Germany decided, we want to get out of here and we want to go to West Germany. By 1961, 2.5 million people had left the East for the West, desperate to keep its citizens. East Germany decided to build a wall build a wall to prevent their people from crossing the border and leaving. They did everything in their power to keep the people on their side. And they, they used force. They, they put down mines, tear gas, even used gunfire, killing people who would try to cross the wall. Being in, 
in Berlin on the east side, looking over, being on the, on the outside, looking in. That was a terrible, terrible place to be. Paul tells us we were in a similar place. We were on the other side of the wall. Look again at verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you, you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. And we all know that when something is repeated, it's probably important, right? Well, Paul says here, therefore remember, in verse 11, and then he goes on, and then in verse 12 he says, remember again. Well, who is he telling this to? He's speaking to Gentile Christians, right? Those Ephesian believers who were not of Jewish descent. And I imagine that probably many of us in the room are not of Jewish descent as well. Some are. What does it mean to remember? What does he want them to remember? And what, are, what might we also remember? Well, Paul wants them to remember five things here in verse 12 that they were separated from Christ, that they were alienated from that commonwealth of Israel, that they were strangers to the covenants of promise. They had no hope. They were without God in the world. And all of this is kind of wrapped up in verse 11. It's kind of summarized there where he says, remember at one time you were called the uncircumcision by those circumcised people over there. He's basically saying, you know how those Jewish people, they have this derogatory term for you Gentiles, the uncircumcision? Remember, at that point, you were cut off. You didn't have any special relationship with God. You didn't bear that mark on your bodies. You weren't in that special club. You were on the outside looking in. I can remember feeling that way in high school. I mean, aside from the fact that I was pretty much a nerd, uh, there were people in high school that had these special jackets. Do you remember those? I don't know if they're as much of a big thing. I'll have to ask our high school students I don't know if they're a big thing these days, but, but people who got academic or, or athletic letters, uh, they wore these jackets, and really it was the athletic people. They were part of this special club. And you'd see them. They'd be hanging out by themselves during lunch. It was like, you know, what are you guys doing over there? They, they'd socialize together. They'd do parties together. It was like an elite kind of gang, and I realized there was no way I was going to get in this thing. I, I lacked the athletic ability. I just I didn't I wasn't very coordinated. I was the guy who would trip over himself on the soccer field. I was I was a mess. There was one point where I tried to get in. I thought in junior year of high school I thought okay, I'm going to I'm going to join the track team here. I mean, <laughs> who can't run, right? Who can't put one foot in front of the other? I can do this. And I remember the first day of tryouts, I was out there and I was, they were doing these exercises and I thought we were just going to run around the track or something, but they had us doing these weird like ballet type things and I, I, I don't know, I'm falling all over myself and now I've got the coach like pulling me aside, no it's like this and all the other people they're doing it just great and I'm just like oh my gosh this is not going well and then during that practice all of a sudden I felt this shooting pain in my knee, I'm like what is going on come on, come on, this is my one chance here 
And not too long after that, I found myself on the operating table for having knee surgery. I was, I was on the outside looking in. There's no way I was going to get in there. Eventually, I, I did get an academic letter, but it's, it's not the same. Is that, you don't get a jacket for an academic letter. <laughs> hey, guys, let me in. No, no it wasn't going to work. Being on the outside looking in is not a fun place to be. Certainly not in high school, but Paul's talking about something far more serious here. Being on the outside looking in of God's people. These Gentile Christians, and us Gentiles before we were believers, we were on the outside. Paul commands us two times, remember, remember that you were separated from Christ. Why was this such a big deal? Well, you remember the last several weeks we've been going through chapters 1 and then we're in a little ch uh, chapter 2 here and Paul's been outlining all of the blessings that God has showered on his people. Grace has been showered, right? They were chosen before the foundation of the world. They were adopted into God's family. They were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The mystery of God's plan to eventually unite all things to himself, that has been revealed. They're given the promised seal of the Holy Spirit. They now had hope in Christ. They were now God's precious and priceless possession, his inheritance. Remember that? And all of this is because of Christ. Paul says, remember, remember, you were once separated from all of that. In the first half of chapter 2, Paul talks about how we were separated from God. Remember that? The last two weeks, you're separated from God. What a horrific thing. You're lost and you're dead in your trespasses and sins. This is not good. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Slaves to our own fleshly desires. This was a horrible place to be. And then he gives that miraculous twist to our story, right? But God because of the great love with which he loved us. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So Paul reminds us of where we were, and today he adds on another layer to this. We were separated from God, and thank God he has worked to transform that. But Paul wants us to remember here in chapter 2, starting in verse 11, there was another alienation here. See, our sin not only alienated us from God, it alienated us from each other. He writes, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. These were not God's people. You see, when God first created human beings, he created them good, right? You remember that. God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Genesis 1.31. God created them. He created them good. There was no division here. God's, uh, God's, well, it says in Genesis uh, 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He created humanity in his own image, intentionally, distinctly, male 
and female. Two types of human beings. You would think, oh, there's division right there. But they were so intentionally, so intricately designed that they were to be complementary to one another. Totally equal in value, each uniquely displaying the image of God, and yet each needing each other. Incomplete without one another. There was absolutely no division when God created. His creation was good. But that perfect harmony wouldn't last long, would it? Why? Because of human sin. You want to know why things have run amok. You want to know why men and women find themselves competing and grabbing at each other's throats and clawing at each other in this ongoing struggle for domination. Want to know why the nations rage, why the races hate, why our sexual desires are all out of whack and we find ourselves burning to satisfy ourselves in all sorts of bizarre and destructive ways. Why we have to build walls to shut each other out. It all traces back right here, human sin. Humanity's rebellion against God. Adam and Eve's sin, it separated them from God. Not long after that, their children were separated from each other. Remember Cain and Abel. After that, Genesis 6-5 tells us the earth was filled with violence. Talk about division. So much so that God planned to bring judgment down through a great flood. After that, humanity fills up with pride. We're going to build a monument to ourselves. We're going to build a monument so great, so grand. We're going to unite all of humanity together. And you remember what happens at the Tower of Babel. God brings more judgment by scattering the nations, creating multiple languages. Then God set apart himself a people. It would seem that God now is the one creating division here, right? Oh, but why is he separating out for himself a people? To bless everyone. And we know that. We know that God is still going to come through on his promise, right? Because he's revealed the mystery of his will that one day he is going to really unite all things to himself. We in a church like this are experiencing unity like the world does not know. This is amazing. This is fantastic. People who would never cross each other's paths or at least never want to hang out together are here together loving each other, caring for each other because of what Christ has done. And one day he is going to bring unity to the universe. God said to Abraham, in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And, and you know, here's the thing. When God makes a plan you can take it to the bank that he's going to deliver. But you know, as we look back on history, uh, especially the history between Jews and Gentiles, we see them just despising one another. And it's not hard to see how it's going to take just an incredible act of God. It's going to take God stepping in to create unity here. One author writes about the way Jews felt the Jews had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God said, uh, God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. 
it was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, that, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. And you know the extreme division? It was seen at the temple. The temple that Herod the Great built that awesome temple he built in Jerusalem, it, was, it stood on an elevated platform. And around the temple, first, there was a courtyard reserved just for the priests. And then beyond that, just to the east, was the court of Israel. And then beyond that was the court of the women. And then, then it went down from there. There were several layers down from there. John Stott writes, from this level... One descended five steps to a walled platform. And then on the other side of the wall, 14 more steps to another wall, beyond which was the outer court or court of the Gentiles. This was a spacious court running right round the temple and its inner courts. For any part of it, the Gentiles could look up and view the temple, but were not allowed to approach it. They're on the outside looking in. And what's interesting, what really displays the hostility here, the dividing line between these two groups, Jews and Gentiles, was what was written. Every certain number of feet along that wall that separated the Gentiles from the Jews. We're all familiar with no trespassing signs that say violators will be prosecuted. Well, here's what these limestone, three-foot-wide limestone signs read. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. And let me be clear. I'm not mentioning any of this to win sympathy for the Gentiles and create some type of bitterness towards the Jews. We're, we're all aware of the atrocities throughout history that have been committed against God's people. What I want to make vividly clear here is the separation that existed between the two groups, between the people that God had called out and the rest of us. The Jews at least had the hope that came with being God's people singled out. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. And then Paul writes, without hope, without God in the world. They didn't know of the promise that had come to Abraham, that all those nations of the earth would be blessed. One commentator writes, historians tell us, that a great cloud of hopelessness covered the ancient world. Philosophies were empty, traditions were disappearing, religions were powerless to help them face either life or death. Yeah, sounds like a lot like today. People longed to pierce the veil and get some message of hope from the other side, but there was none. Why didn't they have any hope? Why didn't they have at least some sense of God? Didn't they at least have knowledge of God from creation? 
Remember several weeks ago we talked about general revelation? That you can look around you, look at what has been created, and you can discern certain things about God. Didn't they at least have that to go off of? What's the deal? Well, according to Romans 1, for although they knew God, there was that evidence out there. Although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They were on the outside looking in. Not a good place to be. You're separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. Paul already told them, these people, you were cut off from God. Now he's telling them, you were cut off from humanity itself. There's division here. It's a huge problem. What's the answer? A year or so ago, I was at a dinner with a group of people, and we were, we were just talking about the police shootings that were going on all over the nation. You remember that? It was, it was big in the news, everywhere. A racial division was going on. It was just erupting, and it was just saying, what is going on here? And one older gentleman in the group, he, it, was, it was a little odd because I, I, kind of, I felt kind of like kind of an outsider in, in that group, but he turns to me and looks straight in the eyes and says, what, what are we going to do here? What's the solution? Is it education? Is it, is it more resources? How are we going to fix this? And it was clear at that moment that he felt like the situation was just hopeless. That's exactly where Paul is leading us here. That's what he wants us to see. Our sin created this great dividing wall between us and God and between us and each other. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He had a plan. Jesus tore down the wall and brought you and I near. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In verse 4 he says, but God, to your separation from God. God acted when you couldn't. He did it all. He took care of it. It was all for His glory, right? So He could put on an, an eternal display of the immeasurable riches of His grace. That's why God did that. And now in verse 13 He says, but now, in Christ Jesus, those who have placed their trust in Christ Jesus, they've, they've been united to Him by faith. It's something amazing that the Holy Spirit does. And now you're in Christ if that's what you have done. And what's the result of being in Christ? The result is a solution to our problem. Another solution to our problem here. Those who are separated, those who are distant, they have been brought near. Notice he writes, you who were once far off. Do you see that there? This phrase takes us all the way back to Isaiah, all the way back to what David was talking about, what he read from Scripture earlier today. I'm not sure we got to verse 19, but in verse 19 it says this of Isaiah 57, Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal 
him. This was God's plan from all along. To unite everything, even those far off Gentiles who had no hope and were without God in this world, even they would be brought near. This is good news. The solution to the division, to the hostility that exists in our world is found in Christ. And that is the only place it's going to be found. The only real place where we're going to find lasting peace and unity is in Christ. After Jesus came, the Jews and Gentiles, they were having a hard time figuring out what it meant to be a Christian. Did the Gentiles, did they have to become Jews now? Do we have to do all those Jewish things? Do we have to become just like them? And the answer Paul gives is no. Jesus brought you near. Jesus is the peace between Jews and Gentiles. See, being a part of God's people now, it was no longer about nationality. It was about faith in what Christ did on the cross. Where once there were Jews and Gentiles, now everyone who trusts Christ is part of the people of God. And it's clearly stated right here in Galatians 3.26. In Christ, you were all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. You've trusted in Christ. Christ is now your identity here. You're in Christ. For you, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you, even you who were far, even you Gentiles, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, the dividing lines have been done away with. Christ is the great unifier, and that's what he's telling the Ephesians here in chapter 2. Look at verse 13 again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who's made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What an incredible thing this is. This is amazing. The Gentile Christians in Ephesus knew all too well the age-old wall that existed between them and the Jews. And I'm sure that most of them were even aware of those three-foot limestone signs that were on the Gentile wall in Jerusalem threatening death to trespassers. But Christ had broken down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. Christ had accomplished what no one else could. Even the Romans, they tried to bring division. They tried to bring division, not division, they tried to bring, a cure for division, bring unity by by means of sheer force. We're going to come in and we're going to rule and our centurions are going to go all around and they're going to make sure you guys behave here. But it was a surfacey kind of unity. Christ, on the other hand, goes straight to the heart of the matter and destroys the wall at its foundation. In the verses that follow, Paul's going to get into greater detail here. He's going to show us how Christ broke down the wall. And he's going to give us a picture of this new people now that have been created in Christ Jesus. And there's a whole lot there. And we're going to tackle that in two weeks when we return to Ephesians. But for now, let's come back to that, that command that Paul repeated. What did he say again? Oh yeah, remember. 
He tells us to remember. Why, why is that so important? Aren't people these days desperately trying to forget the horrors of their past? Why do we want to remember? Don't we spend so much money on psychiatrists and psychologists and movies and entertainment and other distractions? Isn't that why so many, tur- so many people turn to alcohol and drugs and, and sex? Isn't that why people turn to video games and social media and virtual reality? We're constantly looking for, how can I be distracted? How can I block out what is going on, the reality of it? We're trying to escape. We're trying to forget. And yet Paul says, remember. This is important. Let me say it again. Remember. Why should we remember? Let me just close us out by pointing out three very practical reasons. Remembering. Remembering how desperately lost we were that'll keep us from thinking that we are somehow responsible for where we're at today. One of the biggest dangers that Christians face, I think, is, is our own pride. Our own pride, a heart that leads us to forget how lost that we once were and how despicable that our sin really was, how hopelessly lost our situation was. And somehow coming to the conclusion, and I'm not sure how we do this, but we all do it, including myself, thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty, yeah. I want to look around. I'll, you know, I, come, I step onto the church campus, and I look, oh my gosh. God is a gracious God. He saved that guy over there. Amen. Right? But not me. Pride. It... it it finds its way into our life and we're so quick to forget and we, we stand here worshiping together and it's so easy for us to feel somehow puffed up, somehow elevated and we find some reason in our mind to think that we have something to do with that. It has nothing to do with that, according to verse 4. It's all God. Remember. So the pride doesn't set in. Secondly, Remembering will help us treasure the hope and forgiveness that we have in Christ. <laughs> Remember what is said in Luke chapter 7. A prostitute, she barges into a dinner party. And she comes to, to Jesus and she starts weeping. And her tears are, are falling onto Jesus' feet. And she takes her hair and she begins washing Jesus' feet with her hair. And the Pharisees are disgusted. This is, this is gross to begin with. But you realize what's going on here, Jesus. Do you realize who is washing your feet here? Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, He who is forgiven little, loves little. In other words, the degree to which you understand and remember your sin, your hopelessness, that directly impacts the way you value the gift of forgiveness that has been forgiven. Remember. Remember so that you realize how important forgiveness is for you. And I don't know about you, but my sins are many. 
My sins left me for dead. My sins left me on the outside looking in. I was cut off. I was totally lost. I was hopeless because of my sin. I've got to remember that. When I hear those words, but God, or but now in Christ Jesus, I want my heart to ache and my soul to sing the goodness of God. Remembering keeps us from pride. Remembering moves us to treasure the gift of Christ. Finally, remembering leads us to worship. As you and I recall the pathetic state we were in, our hopelessness, our lossless, are reminded of that immeasurable gift of grace that has been showered down upon us. Our hearts are well, they're compelled to burst forth in praise to God. On the evening of November 9th, 1989, an announcement was made by East German government official Gunther Schabowski, stating permanent relocations can be done through all border checkpoints between East Germany into West Germany. And the people were in shock. Were the borders really open? East Germans, they, they tentatively approached the border and then were blown away as they saw with their own eyes that the border guards, they're actually helping people through. Thousands of people rushed the wall. Some began chipping at it with hammers and chisels. And all over the place, people were breaking down. They were, they were hugging each other. They're kissing each other. They're cheering. They're crying. The wall that separated those people. The people in East Germany from freedom for 28 years had been torn down. What is our response to the wall that Christ has torn down. My prayer is you and I remember that our pride will fall. Our treasure in Christ will just appear all the more brilliant and that we'll be moved to worship. And if you're here this morning and you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm not completely sure, but I think I might still be on the outside looking in. You're not sure that you are in Christ yet. You can know whether or not you are very easily by asking yourself, where is my trust? What am I counting on for my salvation? Am I still looking to all the good things that I've done, hoping that they, as they sit on the cosmic scales, that somehow my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad? If that's you, you're still outside of Christ. Because being in Christ is recognizing that no amount of good things is ever going to tip that scale. The only way that our sins are forgiven is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And you can make that change in your life right now by simply acknowledging your sin acknowledging that hopelessness and saying, Jesus, I need you. It's what you did. How did I not realize this before? It's what you did, Jesus, on the cross. You paid for every single one of my sins right there. And I trust that you took care of business there. And you did it all. That's it. 
And if you're here this morning and that's where you're at, I want to encourage you, make that step. That very, very small and yet incredibly large step to trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness in our lives as we are led by the words of Paul to remember, Father, we are brought to our knees. Our hearts are bowed low. And like it says in Isaiah 57, Lord, we become the contrite and lowly in heart. And thank you, Lord, that that is exactly the people that you want to dwell with. That is exactly the people that you sent Jesus Christ to offer his life as a sacrifice for. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. May we be a people who never forgets. This never escapes our thoughts, never escapes our minds, Lord. How much we desperately were in need and how much you greatly met that need. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.